Welcome back to the Society Case Files podcast. My name is Robert Hazelton, and I'll be your host. Today I'm going to talk about the game Song of Horror. I'm going to discuss my new novel, Full Circle. I'm also going to bring up the Terminator Genesis movie and the flop of Dark Fate. Got a lot to talk about, so let's dive right in. First up is the game Song of Horror. You can find this on Steam, Xbox, or PlayStation. It's a survival horror game by the company called Protocol Games, and it takes a lot of influence from things like Resident Evil and Silent Hill, that sort of thing. Uh, Basically, you are going into this creepy mansion and investigating the disappearance of some people, and along the way, you have to do puzzles that are sort of point-and-click adventure-inspired, as well as a few quick-time events to basically save your character's life. Some of the aspects that make this unique or different to other games is that there is permadeath, and it makes it a bit roguelike in that regard. So in episode one, you start out with four different character choices, and those characters can essentially explore the uh, mansion until they die, and then they're gone for good, and you move on to the next one. They're sort of like your lives, if you want to think of it that way. They drop their inventory wherever they happen to be, when they were taken out, and then you can go find it and continue the story from there. For me, that aspect of the game is more of a novelty because it actually gets more irritating than it is fun. Once you've played through the game once, that uh, whole element of losing a character, it's not that you've lost that person so much as when you replay that part, you're going to now have to go all the way back to the beginning, of course, and do a whole bunch of puzzles that you've already done and essentially it becomes a little rote until you get up to that point where perhaps you don't really know what to do and you just keep dying over and over. I've seen that a few times on streams and that sort of thing. A great example of this is when you watch my stream of my first failed playthrough, you'll see that I power through a whole bunch of stuff at the very beginning because I tried one playthrough first before streaming, and then after that I got to the point where I was stuck and and just had to kind of wander around and play the game again. I guess in some regards, I mean, that's that's gaming, right? And Casual mode gaming is not necessarily what this is about. It is a survival horror game, and there has to be some consequences to your actions if you're going to enjoy those kinds of things. If it's too easy mode, you just power through it and be done with the whole game and move on. And I'm sure that's partially why they're releasing it episodically. So uh, when you buy the game initially, you get episodes 1 and 2. Then they release uh, episode 3 in December. Uh, episode 4 in January, and episode 5 comes out in March, and that should sum up that story completely. As far as the game goes, I actually gave it a positive review on Steam. I do enjoy it. I think it's really clever, and there's a lot of fun stuff going on there. But I can also see why someone might not like it very much, because it does get a little frustrating. For example, I did one puzzle... Uh, I thought I was doing just fine and I just died. There was not really a good indication to me that I was failing the puzzle. It's a tap, tap, tap button and then hit another button. I was really surprised that I lost that one, but that's kind of part of the thing is that you might not know. Now, they do talk about how there's this AI element to it, sort of like that game Alien Isolation, where the bad guy, in this case the presence, sort of learns how you play and tries to mess with you. So 
if you do too many patterns, like if you're constantly doing the same things, for example, I, I'm an idiot and I wouldn't listen at the doors and I just walk through them. At one point I opened a door and just instantly died. That pretty much ended my playthrough. There are three difficulty levels, so you can crank it down if you're having a hard time. It's supposed to make the AI back off a little bit and make it uh, make some of the puzzles a little easier to to handle. Uh, I haven't tried it, so I can't really confirm or deny how much of an impact that makes, but if you do try the game and, and you get frustrated, you could at least give that a shot and see if it helps. Something interesting about the game that has nothing to do with the play itself or, or any of that stuff is the name, Song of Horror. When I searched for that, I came up with a lot of goth bands and death metal bands rather than anything about the title, and that was pretty obnoxious. Uh, the only game I can think of that must be harder to search for is Control. I did find out that they tried to kickstart this twice and failed both times before an outside publisher and friends and family put money in to get the project made, so that's kind of interesting. I don't know of any other titles that that you can say that about. Um, I did read one article that said there had to be one. They thought they remembered one, but they couldn't recall the title. So I'd be very interested to hunt that down and see what other game came out in that regard because I think Song of Horror is great. I'm actually really surprised it didn't make the uh, Kickstarter. Well, I guess I'm I'm both surprised and not. I mean, it does look like a generic sort of survival horror game in some stupid mansion, and I could see why people like, eh, I don't really need another one of those. But considering what they managed to pull off, I genuinely jumped several times. Even on my second playthrough with stuff that I knew was coming, it got me. And I, I will admit that my very first playthrough, the one I didn't stream, it scared me enough to where I had nightmares that night. So it's a very good horror experience. I, I still recommend it, especially considering you can try the first episode for $7.99. That's at least three hours of gameplay. Even if you don't fail and have to restart, it should be around that amount of time. And that's not bad for that for that price. And if you loved it, then there are more episodes coming. The season pass is only $20 right now, so you can have the entire game waiting for you as they come out and jump on them as soon as they're available. I'm not a huge fan of having to wait for the episodes because the way I play games is I tend to move on after I finish something. So it's often hard for me to come back to DLC. And in this case, these episodes are just DLC. They do come with new characters to experience that particular episode. But I'm, I'm really hoping that I, that I do come back to it and do try the rest of them so I can see the end of the story. But I, I can't say for sure. It's nice that you get the first two episodes... In some ways, I would say that if you are like me and you like to just play the whole game up front and then just get it over with and move on, you might want to wait till March so that you can play the entire thing all at once rather than have to wait. Uh, on the other hand, I, I, I can't fault this method of delivery because it keeps their game relevant for people who will come back and it gives you something to look forward to. And that's kind of fun, especially since we can put that money down now and we've got gameplay until March. Pretty neat in that regard. I'm going to sum up Song of Horror as it's absolutely worth the price. The stuff that I found frustrating is very minor and absolutely not a deal breaker. For the price, you literally can't beat it. If you haven't tried it yet and you like horror games and you like to be scared, pick up Song of Horror. It's totally awesome. I've changed my method for writing books quite a lot in the last several years. 
When I was working a full-time job, if I wanted to finish a project, I really had to be disciplined with how long it was going to be. Otherwise, it would flounder for a very long time. When I was stealing minutes here and there in between meetings or at lunch or whatever the case may be, it was very hard to really dive into a book and keep it fresh in my mind and work through it. So I aimed for around 50,000 words and usually it came out to just north of that, usually around 60, 65,000 is how I would end a book. But since I left the full-time job, I have not actually finished a book that is less than 90,000 words. When I wrote The Cat That Pawed the Cultist, I thought it was gonna weigh in at about the normal length of book that I'd been doing. And that was around the 60 to 70,000 word range. But it very quickly escalated and, and I just needed to tell a more detailed story so it ended up being longer. Same thing happened with Blind Corruption. When I dove into it, I assumed it would be a bit shorter because I was going to be writing from only one character's perspective. And unlike its uh, predecessor, The uh, Spirit Machine, that book took place in two different time periods and it followed multiple perspectives. So it ended up being well over 100,000 words. That was one of the longest books I was able to write back when I still had a corporate job. And it was it was a huge undertaking. I had to take copious notes to keep up with it because I do have a very good memory and I like to be able to write the book in a short enough time frame that I keep it all in my head and, and produce as I go rather than having to constantly go back and look at outlines and, and remind myself what I'd done and reread huge sections just to stay on top of things. And, and these aren't just long-winded. I'm not like diving into excessive amounts of detail about rooms and that sort of thing. I'm genuinely writing more story. There's just more going on, more character development, uh, additional scenes and that sort of thing. So it's been a lot of fun and I'm really enjoying the ability to dive into these in such a way that allows me to fully explore my concepts. So I just finished the book Full Circle, and that's my latest Glamour and Shadows. It's Glamour and Shadows book eight. And it was just a great amount of fun. It's the first time that I've really written from so many perspectives in one of these uh, novels. It's also the longest. It came in at 106,000 words. I'm covering material from Ophelia's point of view, a couple of new characters, a couple of characters from the comics, uh, Nick from the Hermes Foundation comes back. It's a very detailed epic story, and it is most reminiscent of how they write Dune books, where there are these epic tales that have all kinds of people contributing to the overall story. And I really wanted to do that this time around. I'm not sure that I will do it for my next society book. I might rein that in a little bit, but for this particular story, it worked very, very, very well. I loved the ending. I feel like I nailed it and it just worked. And so that book has been sent out to some beta readers. It's being read as we speak. I was elated to finish it. And it actually did take me quite a while because I've got a lot of ghostwriting projects going on and other things. I've been doing audio books. I've been doing some animation stuff, lots of art. I've got the calendars ready to go, which I'll talk about in a minute. But Full Circle had been on my burner for a very long time and I'm so happy to have finished it up. If you guys want to see early drafts of the things that I work on, I will be posting them on the coffee site so you can hop over there and see early chapters. I'm going to post uh, the prologue in chapter one pretty much raw and let you guys see the process. Um, if you want to see 
what it looks like when I do my first copy of something and or in this case it's actually a, a third copy because I did do a lot of edits already but in any event you can actually go and see what that kind of thing looks like and speaking of finished projects I did just wrap up the new calendars for the darker past art and the society case files both of those can be found on the society case files website you can actually pre-order them they have uh, some paypal buttons to buy stuff and you can see all of the images and what they look like. I think they're pretty cool, but I am biased. I'm very excited to get those up on my wall. And if you guys want some uh, fantastic Society Case File stuff for your own home, please be sure to hop over there and pick one up. We'll be shipping them as soon as we get them in from the uh, printers. So just uh, check that out today. That's at the www.societycasefiles.com. And as far as when Full Circle is released, that will probably happen after Blind Corruption comes out. It's not quite ready itself, and Crescendo is also on the back burner for publication. So uh, depending on how much interest I get, if a bunch of people are like, I've got to read this now, then I'll probably push it up in the uh, roster because it is a society book and it does kind of take precedence. But until then, we are, uh, we're just going through the editing process, making sure everything sounds good, uh, ensuring that I didn't have any continuity mistakes, that kind of thing. It's it's getting closer, and I'm really, really excited. The cover is available on our website as well, so check that out, and you can get a taste of the, the atmosphere I'm going for there. The next thing I want to talk about is the Terminator franchise. As everybody knows, uh, Terminator Dark Fate came out recently. It uh, had some controversy around it, uh, the beginning, and I'm not going to say what that is, but... Apparently, it really made a lot of people mad. And then there is the fact that James Cameron came back to pen the story and produce the movie. And a lot of people seem to think that his presence alone would be enough to revitalize the franchise, as they say. With Terminator Genesis failing, basically, getting the least amount of money that any Terminator movie had made before, that uh, put some pretty big burden on Tim Miller and James Cameron to come back and, and have a movie that was going to save a lot of faith, I guess. And I think they made so many mistakes here. It's insane. I don't know what they were thinking. Terminator Genesis was not a bad movie. I picked it up the other day for $4.99. I admit that my expectations were absolutely rock bottom, but I had fun watching it. I don't really think there was anything wrong with it, but I get why it failed because a lot of it was just retread and it did ultimately feel unnecessary. And if you're a Matt Smith fan, huh, don't watch it for that. He's in the movie for maybe 30 seconds. I think he has five lines, maybe. I don't know. In any event, that movie kind of deserved to fail for a lot of reasons. It just isn't that special is really what it comes down to. And if you're going to spend that much money on something, it probably should be special. And I, I almost feel like sometimes these big movies really forget that, and they just let stuff happen. And then you watch it, and you're like, well, that was kind of a waste of time. And this isn't the fault of the people in the movies either. Arnold Schwarzenegger gives 130% in all of these films. I just watched him break down his iconic roles. And his passion and positivity even extended to Batman and Robin, which is universally panned. He's just 
a really fun guy who believes in his work. Now, however else you feel about him, that positivity was very apparent in how he approached all of his roles. Even Dark Fate, he talked about doing that one, and he he gave it you know glowing praise, basically. Let's talk about James Cameron for a moment, though. There's no denying that he has had a tremendous amount of success in his career. For a while, it felt like he could pretty much do no wrong. Uh, Titanic was the highest grossing movie of its time. The only movie to beat it within 10 years was Avatar, another James Cameron movie, until that was toppled by the Avengers. And, you know, he wasn't all that gracious about that. Sure, he uh, gave them some praise for it, but then he talked about why people didn't have Avengers fatigue, which is pretty crazy considering that he's got like 900 Avatar movies planned. You know, Terminator 1, universally loved. Terminator 2, also a a beloved movie. Aliens, a great film. But I'm not sure that Dark Fate was going to be the return to form that people thought. As I said earlier, they made a lot of mistakes. It's hard to know exactly who to blame for story decisions when you've got things like story by James Cameron, Charles H. Egley, uh, Josh Friedman, David Goyer... And Justin Rhodes. I mean, did it really take five guys to come up with this film? And two of them have done great things before. David Goyer, responsible for Christian Bale's Batman movies. Responsible for the Blade movies. And as we know, Blade 3, not necessarily the greatest film, but Blade 1 certainly was awesome. He's kind of a hit or miss guy. Now, who came up with the stuff that made people angry about Dark Fate? Who knows? The screenplay itself was written only by three people, which still seems nuts, but with these huge blockbusters, it tends to be a bunch of people rewrite it over and over again. I guess ultimately the question is, was it a good idea to put out a movie that nullifies several other movies worth of material in order to try and, I don't know, recapture people's imaginations or their wallets, as as the uh, case may be, and... Was it a good idea to come out with it so soon after a major flop? I think, to use James Cameron's term, I think there was some Terminator fatigue. People who did go and see Genesis were angry about it, didn't like it, found it to be pointless or whatever other adjectives they might use. It was critically panned. It failed. And then rather than like let the series cool off for a while, they're like, nope, let's jump right back in. Let's spend... Uh, Wikipedia says between 185 and 196 million dollars to make a new one and just go crazy and see what happens. I genuinely feel like they needed to calm down. They needed to really think about it. They needed to decide if it really was a good idea to make a movie that was a direct sequel to Terminator 2, essentially making Terminator 3, Terminator Salvation, Genesis, probably the Sarah Connor Chronicles, all of that just pointless. People don't want to find out that the time they spent on your story or your media is pointless. Great example, when the character in Dallas wakes up and finds out the whole season was a dream, it kind of offended people. They just wasted all that time watching stuff that is not going to carry on the continuity of a show that they invested a lot of time in. And the same goes with any kind of media. I'm going to use a video game for a moment as an example. MechWarrior 4 was a fantastic game. I absolutely loved it. Great story. Basic 
premise was was pretty average and and you've heard it a million times before but the execution was fun you basically played a nobleman he was away at war with his buddies and his his lance or whatever you want to call it unit and while he's gone his home planet is taken over by a hostile force so he comes back fights a guerrilla war to take back the throne and save his planet his people pretty generic we've seen it many many times but it was fun and it was an older game so we hadn't seen it quite as many times but still great game the direct expansion to mech warrior 4 had you playing a generic mercenary who is defying the despot on the planet that you just saved and that despot is the the new antagonist is the former protagonist and while i'm sure they were thinking this is pretty clever what they didn't think about is that when somebody is playing a game when they've invested 20 to 50 hours they don't really want to come back and have those characters that they fell in love with be the bad guys they don't want to go around killing them all after they just spent all that time trying to keep them alive one game that got away with this was the borderlands pre-sequel because you actually killed all those characters before you fell in love with them and then you went and played them and knowing their fate didn't necessarily help but uh, at least you weren't like wow now i'm just murdering all these guys so that was that was a smart way to do it if you have to do that stuff and movies are the same way just because they're passive doesn't mean people want to suddenly watch as the purpose of the the form the previous installments of a of series or movie are made completely pointless and that's what happens here with dark fate now if you are a loyal terminator fan and you went and saw terminator 3 and salvation and all this other stuff then now you're like wow really so all of that stuff was what just standalone it was fan fiction what what what's going on here and that's just one more reason that dark fate probably failed it's also a point to consider that if Genesis failed and the two sequels that were planned for it were no longer going to be made, essentially making the time you spent watching that movie pointless, then it stands to reason to assume that Dark Fate won't get its sequels. Even if it does well, who's to say that someone else won't come along and say, I didn't like that story, I'm going to rewrite it and I'm going to make that pointless too. So we get into this sort of spiral effect where people no longer really want to trust the Terminator franchise because their time is valuable. There are other things to watch. There are plenty of TV shows to sit through at home rather than go to the theater and watch a movie that may or may not have something after it that will engage you further. And this is true of things like that uh, <laughs> Universal's attempt to make the the Dark Universe or whatever they were going to call it, where... They started it out with uh, Tom Cruise's Mummy. And instead of making a solid Mummy movie, they crammed everything they could, all the Easter eggs they could find, to ensure that you knew they were making more movies. So when you went to see the movie, instead of it feeling like an independent film that was going to potentially have more things after it, it just felt like a long advertisement, a bunch of uh, trailers crammed into a film that was disjointed and had no idea what it was trying to what it was trying to convey. I I felt like that was one of those moments when we realized everybody wants what Marvel has without having the discipline to get it. Terminator never had a huge plan. I mean it was super obvious when you watched Terminator 1 that it was a standalone horror film. 
they didn't put a whole bunch of thought into the background per se. It was supposed to be there is a nonstop killing machine that is going to hunt this person down and, and whack them. And it's it's the eighties and that's action craziness in the eighties, it's just exemplified in Terminator. The fact that they came up with two is pretty surprising, and, and I admit they did a really good job of giving you a good story reason for it to happen. Now, when they made three, that's when they start to, wow, this is floundering. And then, of course, Salvation, uh, that was just a mess. So, unlike Marvel, that started out, and, and I admit, I think that Marvel didn't necessarily have a plan when they started with Iron Man. But they quickly developed one, and they maintained some continuity, and they maintained quality. I'd say that Marvel has the fewest number of missteps in their massive series than others do. But that's because you end up with crazy stuff happening with things like the Terminator or Rambo or whatever. You know, you get different people coming in and they just throw stuff at the wall and and pump out a movie and hope it makes money. And then later... They realize, wow, we probably should have thought of that, and we should have thought of the long-term franchise opportunities, or whatever you want to call it, but we didn't, so let's just reboot, or whatever the case may be. It's frustrating, but what it ultimately comes down to is a flop, like Dark Fate, or The Mummy, or whatever else. Name it. Name the movie that, that attempted to revitalize a franchise, or start one, and did so with too much enthusiasm and no patience and you've pretty much got what happened here with Dark Fate. You know, I don't know if they're going to go on. Tim Miller, right after the movie came out, already said he probably wouldn't come back for sequels and who knows how this has impacted uh, James Cameron's ego because that's certainly there. But I guess we'll see. I sincerely doubt they're going to get another movie after this one bombed so hard. I mean, $28 million in the first weekend to a nearly $200 million budget, that's just done. And it didn't do very well overseas either. So I think that Terminator is either finally done for good or they're going to let it cool off as they should have and maybe come back to it in the future. Huh? Huh? Sorry. Anyway, that was terrible. But that's the end of my Terminator rant. Let's, uh, let's move on to something else. There's a specific kind of hype I want to talk about that I really despise, and Blizzard is the master of it. Um, some movies do it too, and other game companies as well, but I'm going to talk about some of the people that I think did a really good job of hyping something, and the folks that do a terrible job. So, Blizzard announced StarCraft 2, and then years later, after they played this great cinematic that got people all pumped up, the game finally came out. But... The time between that stupid cinematic and when the game finally released was way too long. And they're doing it again with Diablo 4. They just announced at their BlizzCon that it's coming out with no release date in sight. Who knows? But based on their track history, we can assume it'll come out in like 2027. And they also did it with Overwatch 2. Put out this awesome cinematic. It's super emotional. Gets people all teary-eyed. No release date in sight. And they've even said, oh, we have no idea when it'll come out. And that drives me nuts. I hate the idea that we get these these heartstring-pulling events, whether they're cinematics or, or a write-up that's just particularly awesome, and we have no idea when it's coming out. But then you get a company like Bethesda who says, hey, Fallout 4 is coming out. 
And my initial thought is, oh boy, I get to wait 12 to 16 months to even consider buying it. And then it comes out three months later. Now, I'm not saying Bethesda is the pinnacle of companies. I know they've got some serious problems with Fallout 76. But as far as hype is concerned, that was awesome comparatively. Because not only did we get really pumped up for the title, but we got to see that it was coming out relatively soon. You know, they they got us hyped up. And that hype didn't die long before the, the product was revealed. And this style of stringing people along, probably to placate investors who might be nervous about how much money they're spending, it just sucks for the consumer. I know that we all want to know what's going on and when they're going to put out stuff and what they're working on. And that's that's cool to some degree, but I'd rather just read about it. I'd rather just have them say, hey, guys, we're working on Diablo 4. We'll show you some stuff when it's much closer to being done. But just know that that's what we're, we're, we're working on now. Not, I'm going to pump out this cinematic that's just going to be awesome and you're going to want to play this game right now, but you're going to wait some indeterminate period of time before you even have a clue of when it's coming out. I think that we really do need to take a step back from that stuff and just stop letting it happen. I don't know what we can do as consumers. It's not like you can vote with your wallet about hype, but it's just frustrating. I don't know. Maybe make our voices heard about it. Maybe people love it. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's a pet peeve of mine and everyone else is like, who cares? I want to see a cinematic and I'll just wait for it because I don't really have any other choice anyway. But I do feel it's a sort of cheap way of... of getting some interest in something that they've been working on and i really do feel like it's financially motivated to keep the 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 money people at bay and show hey look you know what people are gonna love this look at this reaction look at these thumbs up on youtube or what you know whatever barometer they use to determine success in in those things but you know star wars is doing it too the new star wars coming out in december i see dozens of articles popping up all the time on facebook to try and pump me up about it whether it's hey you need to watch this video about uh i don't know spoilers or you need to read about why this character is here and what this character's motivation is i mean i feel like i'm trying out for the damn movie they're giving me so much information and and it's just there to keep me all pumped up so that i will absolutely have my ass in one of those seats on day one I I guess I I see where they're coming from. At least with movies, for the most part, they don't start that kind of hype train until the film is much closer. But, I mean, I've been getting Rise of Skywalker stuff since June, and that seems a little excessive that I have to wait six months to see the film, and they are just constantly pumping me with information between that point and the film, which, by the time I get there, I kind of feel like I've already seen it. Anyway, that's just a big pet peeve of mine about hype I probably shouldn't be ending the podcast on a big negative rant on that kind of thing. But it is just something, you know, I looked over while I was talking about uh, Terminator and I happened to see Overwatch is back. And I'm like, no, it's not. (laughs) Overwatch won't be back for a long time, guys. What are you doing? That's that's all I'm going to say about it. It drives me nuts. How do you guys feel about it? If any of you have a really strong opinion or you think I'm insane... Drop me a line and let me know. I I don't mind. In this case, I probably am out of control, and, and I acknowledge that. So, anyway, that's it. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening to the show. I appreciate you stopping by. If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more, be sure to check out our website and keep track of the schedule. You can find us at www 
www.societycasefiles.com or www.roberthazelton.com. Don't forget to follow or support the project at ko-fi.com slash societycasefiles. Thanks again. Have a great week.